today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Lots to talk about on a, a myriad of things, whether it's uh, China, John McCallum, or what's happening in the United States. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant and uh, uh, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. As always, Scott. So what an interesting weekend this was. Oh, my. Uh, let's start with uh, John McCallum and what he said uh, initially, uh, I guess, before the weekend, and, and basically outlined some defensive strategy for uh, China in, in trying to avoid uh, extradition of the Huawei CFO. Uh, he, he, he said three things. He misspoke, but went on and misspoke for, I guess, 40 minutes, uh, including three definite uh, uh uh, points on which they could use, one of which was Donald Trump was politicizing the whole thing by mentioning the CFO in the same sentence as trade talks with, with China and the United States. But hasn't, hasn't McCallum done the exact same thing? You know, well, he has. And I think that the most disturbing thing about this whole situation is, it, it, there's a couple things, Scott. There's A, how this our, our international relations are essentially at an all-time low especially with, I guess, a country one could actually call a superpower, number one. Number two, I think that nobody really expected, the Canadian government uh, included, that China would retaliate in the way that they retaliated. And I think that this is really showing the world, um, you know, their thought process and what they do when, you know, what China does when they're mad. And that, to me, is, is the scariest thing of all. You know, they don't like what you've said. Okay, well, we're just going to hold some of your people and we'll keep them in detention. And you know what? I think we'll we'll kill one. And they scooped another one uh, the other day. I mean, now I there's a, a 61-year-old man that we don't even know his name. No. So, you know, things run in a very, very different way than they do here. And I think that, I don't think it was a, a miscalculation, or maybe it was because they weren't aware of, how the Chinese would retaliate and to what extremes they would do so. The second thing is, is that when McCallum made that remark about, you know, this would probably, in all intents and purposes, sort of go away, I think that maybe he was talking about a backroom deal that he should not have been talking about. And why he felt he could say that, I think it's sort of tantamount to giving away, you know, a country's, you know, or state, state secrets that there's lots of conversations that go on behind closed doors. And there's lots of um, things that are said that people feel that, well, this is probably the way it's going to end up anyways. But either he wasn't thinking or he didn't realize he was on the record, but he was talking to the media. So, you know, you can't really use that as an excuse. And he did it for 40 minutes. You know, and sometimes you sort of get, you know, when you're in a high position, and this is a fairly high position, you know, sometimes you kind of get suffused with your own ego in these type of things. And honestly, I've never really heard McCallum oft quoted in the media. So maybe he felt that, you know, this was his opportunity to um, sort of put a ribbon on the situation. But, you know, when somebody is in the diplomatic service, they essentially should know what they can say and what they can't say. And in this type of very, very sensitive situation, there is often a dossier where it says, okay, we can say this, but we're not going to say that. But I don't think he read it. To do it twice? 
Yeah, you know. You know, it was interesting. I had I had a professor on. Um, I think it was the day that this went down. And he basically said, you've heard the last of John McCallum, that, uh, you know, after this little episode and after the, uh, you know, the, the, the walk back, uh, he'll just he, they won't fire him now because he needs to he needs needed in these negotiations with these detainees. But slowly, when the time is right, they'll just jettison him and you'll never see him in front of a camera again. So I'm sitting there and I'm telling my father in law that, you know, like I'm some sort of expert in politics and we're watching uh, CTV News Net while this is all going down. Mm-hmm. And. And lo and behold, he does it again. I, you know, so, so never mind there, uh, father-in-law. I, clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. And they're letting this guy do it again. I mean, how bizarre was it? It happened twice. I don't know. Maybe he also thought that the writing was on the wall after the first time, so he had nothing to lose the second time. You know, this is all But what's he trying to here. accomplish here? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say what he was trying to accomplish unless he was really doubling down. And, you know, you have the Chinese media who, number one, is angry that he has been um, that he has been fired and also felt that he was stating the truth. So, you know, maybe he was stating the truth. I don't know. And, they, and, and apparently from what I've read is that the Chinese officials also felt that Mr. McCallum was uh, a promoter of stronger ties between Canada and China. So, you know, you have issue after issue after issue piling up here. And just when you think you're, you've dealt with one, now you're dealing with another. And I've always said in crisis communication, Scott, most of the time, most of the time, you do it to yourself. And that's exactly what happened here. And it's not even sort of reacting to it to a situation, but it's a t- it's a situation that could have one hundred and ten percent been avoided. You know, we've talked about this uh, a million times over the last couple of decades. All we hear: China, China, China. China's the golden goose. China is the land of opportunity. China, China, China. We can make so much money in China. Da 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 da. Stuff that we buy is so much cheaper than China. And then it's, but we have to handle the culture properly. We have, it's almost like we're, it's almost like we're, we're about to greet the queen. We have to know how to squat. We have to know how to curtsy. We have to know, it seems we're always doing everything to keep China happy. What, has this changed things? Where's, is this a reciprocal relationship? Well, is a reciprocal other than we relationship. Get lot, other than that. we sell lots of stuff there and we get lots of cheap crap back. Well, you know, the reciprocal relationship right now is, is, that, is that when they do something, we do something. So, you know, we've fired the, uh, the ambassador, and now there's talk, well, maybe we should, you know, tell the ambassador to Canada from China to get out of here. So right now, this is about, this is all retaliatory. Somebody does something they don't like, and then they retaliate. Then, you know, back and forth, back and forth. It seems but, they're doing a little bit more than that than we are. Well, exactly. But the worst part is, is that they're holding our citizens, some of whom, you know, ha- they have no right to hold them except that they nabbed them on some very, very tenuous charges. And that is honestly the most frightening thing that we should be paying attention to also. Yes, yes, there's the machinations that go um, on behind, you know, behind closed doors with respect to diplomacy and with respect to trade. But right now, the other thing, too, is, Scott, the world is watching. They're watching how this is all playing out. And we're sort of this guinea pig test case. So every other country is thinking, hmm, 
you better not make the Chinese angry because they're going to nab your people and maybe even sentence them to death. Have we become a slave to China? Are we so dependent on China for our economic success that we will bend over and do anything for them, short of releasing a CFO that's wanted on, on an extradition treaty? Right. And, and, you know, Canada had to honor that treaty. I think several people are thinking, well, why do we do this in, in the first no. place? Well, you know, Whose we side are we on? At the end of the day, just because you don't like the president of the day, really, you're going to pick China over the United States? Let's be serious here. I think that, you know, we don't have a lot of wins. Canada has not had a lot of wins this year in any foreign trade mission. The prime minister hasn't had a lot of wins. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, the debacle in India is just one thing. You know, it goes on and on and on. And right now, I mean, our prowess on this, I'm, I'm sure that Christian Freeland's doing everything that she can, but quite honestly, our prowess on, prowess on this is sort of a laughing stock. And the long-term ramifications are that other countries look at us and think, well, you know what, we're not that hard to manipulate. Uh, I don't think that you can tick off the Chinese, Scott. I don't think you can. Well, clearly you can't. So then can we have reasonable business relations with these people like we thought we could? It, it seemed as if we were trying to hug communism out of the Communist Party of China. Now we're getting a blast of reality. And we put all our eggs in this basket. Well, this is the problem. I think that people want to, especially governments and trade missions, they want to close their eyes to the human rights abuses that happen in China. You know, yes, we still need to do trade. And listen, you've heard the business communities also say, like, listen, despite what's going on here, we still have business to do. We're still going to and do I, and I ha And I totally agree with that. And I have no problem doing business with other parts of the world who necessarily don't think the same that we do. But I think we have been incredibly naive in thinking that this part of the world in this regime is better than it actually is. And it's not. It's still the Communist Party of China. And the new China, I'll, I'll say, ha has changed direction and intensified this aggression in the last little while. So again, I, I, I agree. We have to do business with China. We should be doing business with China. But we should also acknowledge that they're communists. I don't think that we've been naive as to what goes on in China. And I think that as long as it went on behind a closed door that we did not know about, we were okay with that. It's sort of like, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, right? But then the door opens, and we are the recipient of all that evil. So now you cannot ignore it. You cannot ignore the human rights abuses that go on. And there are people who, you know, scream and yell about that all the time whenever we make a deal with China or whenever we're sending a trade mission over there. And we just sort of turn our backs and think, okay, well, you know, that's fine, but we still need to deal with them. But at the end of the day, they do engage in human rights abuses. And now we've got to you know, take our thinking in a very measured approach or a very extreme approach. I don't know what's going to happen in the next 24 hours, you know, when dealing with these people. And it's a really, really tough situation. Uh, how does Trudeau play this? Because, uh, again, we're, you know, uh, Andrew Scheer was uh, rallying his troops yesterday, made a big speech and basically said this is all image and no results. Uh, and I was talking to a conservative political pundit earlier on. We were joking about we were joking around about the old uh, Harper campaign against Trudeau, which was he's not ready. Well, clearly he was ready because he became the prime minister. And this pundit was saying they should drag that back out again and say, see, we told you he's not ready. It's he's selling sunny ways. He's selling a feeling. He's selling, a, a, you know, a nice feeling in a park on a Sunday afternoon. 
but we're not seeing results. How does he sell this? How does he come out of this ahead, considering he's blundered this up so badly when, when, the, when the opposition leader said he should have fired him the first time? McCallum. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, easy, it's always easy to sit in opposition, right, Scott, and say, yep. okay, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong. So maybe all this would not have happened um, under the Conservative Party. You don't know. I mean, you don't know. So, but right now, you know, Andrew Shears. I don't think it's about it happening or not, though. I think it's the reaction to it. I mean, you know, stuff's going to happen in the world, but it's how you react to it. I agree. But it's easy to criticize it when you're not exactly in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all know that. But I think that, you know, first of all, the track record in international relations isn't great. This only puts another stake in the coffin on, on this, as far as I'm concerned. How does he get out of it? I mean, Scott, honestly unless they've got some sort of diplomatic magician there who can teach them and tell them how to get out of it. Sometimes the problem with Trudeau is that he does things because it's in his heart is what he honestly feels is the right thing to do. And, and I think that he goes against the advice of his advisors a lot. And we have seen this time and time again. It's the right thing to do. Let's bring in this girl who barricaded herself in a, in a hotel room and let's bring her into, There's another into one. Canada. And yeah, she's going to jump the queue in front of all the other young girls who will probably have very similar situations. But hers is more attractive because she speaks great English and she was able to use social media in a way. And it also provided a win for us, a, a very small win and a sort of very small break from the bad headlines. But it still provided a win. You know, the decision making on, on what and, and what works and, and, and what shouldn't work or is, is obviously flawed. You know, whose idea was it the thought to, you know, okay, Trudeau, whatever wherever you go and whatever you do, let's dress up your 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 whole family in traditional Indian garb and uh it, it'll seem like you're a man of their people. Well, that fell flat on its face. So honestly, I don't think that he has the chops in order, you know, to get us out of this. He's he's never done this. This is, you know, this is way... He's never done anything. anything. He's never worked a day in his dang life. Yeah. You know, whether the Canadian people see this and understand this for the debacle that it is in the run-up to an election, you know, will actually, you're absolutely right, will depend on the Conservatives to mention this. So, you know, they've got a list. There's a litany of things that they could, they could go with. But, you know, what the conservative machine does really, really well with their backs against the wall and when they want to put out sort of a, a dirty campaign is that they know how to do that really well. I remember when Michael Ignatieff was uh, running for prime minister and they come up with, the conservatives came up with this very, very simple message. He's not really here. He's just here on a vacation. He's not really Canadian. Do yeah. you really want this guy? It was a very simple message. I looked at this and go, this is ridiculous. But honest to goodness, you know, you do your polling, you, you see what people understand and you don't understand, and you take it down to the lowest common denominator. So whether you're into politics or you're not into politics, you get the message. Hmm. So, uh, I, you know, trust me, the war rooms and the ad agencies, this is all being worked on right now. And it'll be interesting to see if they do follow that narrative track of, we told you he wasn't ready yet. Mm. All right, let's go south of the border. I've only got about two or three minutes left. I I just have to ask you your opinion on the shutdown. Uh, Some uh, political commentators uh, have said that Trump caved on this one. Uh, It was interesting it happened the same day as the Roger Stone thing, so... (laughs) 
There's your distraction. Um, but but how does how does he sell this loss as a win? Well, that is a really hard thing, and I don't know if he can, Scott. So first of all, they went and raided Roger Stone's house. Went Saturday morning. Funny how CNN's cameras were there. Do you always yeah. call the media when you're going in for a raid? That's a question. <laughs> Um, and Roger Stone, I mean, honestly, he's been around since the Nixon days. He is an absolute Republican loyalist. So, you know, he's sort of a bit of a mythic character. And it's interesting because everything that we've heard is, is this is what I was told. This is what I was told. Who was doing the telling? We don't know. So can he dig himself out of this? Apparently, the way um, Trump is dealing with the situation is the way he deals with all his business situations. He just digs in his heels and says no until you say yes. Except sometimes with business and government, never the twain shall meet, even though you might think it's, it's, it's one of the same. It is not. And now that you have Nancy Pelosi and, and Chuck Schumer, but mainly Nancy Pelosi, sort of ruling the roost here, basically he's almost kowtowing to what she is saying. First of all, he wants to do a State of the Union, and she says he can't do a State of the Union because hmm. government workers aren't here. So I think he allows it for a little bit of a reprieve. But I don't think politically uh, he can shut down the government again. You know, this is just making him look foolish. And, you know, he seemed to be absolutely blind to the fact that people were not happy and they were not happy having money. So if people if I heard some statistic that 70 percent of the of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, how could they be happy about supporting his policies? They're not. And he does not have the complete support of the Republican Party. So as February 15th um, comes closer, it will be really interesting to see what he's planning on doing. His approval ratings are at an all-time low, quite honestly, of any president. I think they're hovering around 37 to 39% right now, maybe lower. And you don't know what Mueller, what else Mueller has up his sleeve in the ensuing two weeks. So as we know, this is a fluid situation that basically changes day by day. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is somebody else that falls along with Roger Stone before February 15th. Well, it never is dull, that is for sure. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant, PR, uh, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you for the time. Be careful in the snow. I'm staying right here, Scott. Good for you. All right, have a great day. (laughs) And you too. Bye-bye. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.